No. No, I'm just teasing you. Yeah. Daniel, everybody knows. I mean, I, I can remember as a kid uh, going to church, and some of you may remember this. Um, we would have these flannel graphs, and, and what they were is, is these big graphs with flannel material on it, and you could, you could put stuff and, and stick it to the flannel board for, for you kids out there, you teenagers that don't know what that is. Um, we didn't have screens and everything else. This is what we did to entertain ourselves. We had these flannel boards and you had these pictures. And I can always remember sitting in Sunday school. And when that flannel board came out, I was like, yes, the flannel board. Are you ready? You know, that was exciting. The flannel board. And so the teacher would bring it out and you'd, she'd bring out Daniel and the lion's den and the lion. And I'm like, she would tell the story of how, you know, Daniel was placed in this lion's den all night and how he didn't get devoured by the lions and the children just standing there with the lions and then having them go out. And it was such a miraculous thing. And, and I just loved the flannel board. And I, and I remember that story as a little kid besides, you know, Probably the only other story we probably know is knowing the ark. That, that story is probably the one story that, that everybody um, knows, Daniel and the lion's den. And Daniel has to probably be one of my favorite Old Testament books. Just an, an incredible, incredible book. But, but uh, for the most part, growing up, the only thing I knew about Daniel was the lion's den or you know, you know, them not getting, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace. And that's probably about all I really knew about Daniel. And so the takeaway that most of us have from Daniel is this, is that you do the right thing and God will rescue from the fire or, or from uh, the lion's den. But it, how many you know, it doesn't take reading the Bible through very far that you realize that... That isn't true most of the time in the Bible, that God actually uh, allowed faithful men and women of God to endure hardship, even death, for the sake of their faith. And many times God chose to be with them in the trials, not necessarily delivering them from them. If you read through the word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament, you realize that. And, and I love the book of Daniel, and this is what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. We're going to be digging into the book of Daniel and seeing how Daniel lived his life. Daniel, the book of Daniel is just an incredible book of not only uh, of, of just miraculous things that had happened to him and how God delivered him, uh, but just a miraculous book of, of, of Bible prophecy and how God really predicts the future. Daniel chapter nine is probably one of the most prophetic chapters in all of the Bible. Jesus quotes from Daniel. We know that it's an inspired book, incredible book, and uh, we've, you know, we've done many messages on the predictions of Daniel, and and how precise those are in 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 his book, and how God unveils for us end times, and how He shows us the end of times. Um, if I were to look at the book of Daniel. Let me give you some basis because this is going to help propel us into the messages that we're going to be going into over the next several weeks. If I were to break up the book of Daniel, I would say that Daniel basically emphasizes three things. And so I want to, I want to just, I want to look at these three things real quickly and, and what the book emphasizes. So it gives us a little bit of structure as we go into the next several, several weeks. First of all, the book of Daniel was written to encourage 
the exiles that were living in Babylon. They were to encourage, the, if you guys are taking notes, we got your notes in there for you. You note takers, you can take notes, you can follow along. I've got those for you in the bulletins. But first of all, it was to encourage the exiles that were living in Babylon. Um, what happened during this time, some 600 years before Jesus came onto the face of, of the earth, um, what was happening in this time? It's kind of a sad time in Israel's history because God was judging Israel because of their waywardness. Because of their waywardness, God allowed these foreign enemies to come and overtake Israel and then take them back to their foreign lands in exile. And Daniel's book is written to encourage them that, that God's plan with them was not over. It, it, it wasn't done. Just because of the destruction of Jerusalem, his plan for them was not over. It was to encourage them that God's plan would not be thwarted and it would be ultimately fulfilled through his son, Jesus. And we can see that in Dan Daniel chapter 9. gives us this timeline from Daniel's time to the coming of the Messiah that would be uh, Jesus Christ. So it was to encourage those that, hey, God is still at work. And, and this very word that was given to Jeremiah, would or from Jeremiah, the prophet at the time, to Daniel, would actually encourage Daniel, say, hey, I'm not done. This is my judgment, but I'm not done. And I'm going to fulfill my covenant, and I'm going to do what I've said I was going to do. The second thing we can see in the book of Daniel is that we can see God's sovereignty and miracle working power. That God, and boy, if we need to hear this today, just everybody take a deep breath for just a second, okay? Can we just feel the tension in the air on this political scene that we're in today, right? Tense, right? Listen. Everybody say this, God is sovereign. God is sovereign, okay? The book of Daniel tells us that God raises up leaders, and guess what he can do? He can take them. Wow, whoa, you guys are, yikes. Take them down. Body slam, right? We are fired up this morning, okay. Whoa, okay. But, the, but it's true, God is sovereign. The book of Daniel tells us that he can raise up leaders, and, and he can take them down. He can remove those leaders. So we see the sovereign hand of God working through Daniel, living in this exiled land of Babylon, and God still working. And I'm, I'm just praying that this, that this gets into your spirit, that God is sovereign, that even though we may see things going around us that we may not like, God is sovereign. God is still working. God has still got his plan in order. Don't worry. Don't fret, okay? That's a good spot for an applause. That's okay. That was a good spot. Little weak, but that's okay. All right, we'll, we'll get it. By the end, we'll get it, okay? Here's the third thing. The third thing is it's, it's, it's God's plan for the end times. And Daniel, through the book of Daniel, God gives him his plan for the end times. Now, I know for most of that have studied uh, the book of Daniel. That's what we love about the book of Daniel. We want We like the cryptic stuff and the statues and what does this mean? And how does this play out today? We all get hyped up on that, but I want you to see something in the book of Daniel. I think sometimes we can overlook the obvious for the cryptic. There's something more obvious in the book of Daniel that I don't want us to miss here. And I know it's easy to get caught in the prophecy stuff because biblical prophecy is exciting to study. And we've studied it before. 
Um, we, we, see, we see the prophecy of, of Jeremiah. We're going to talk about this in just a minute because Jeremiah lived during that time. And he gave a prophecy that, that this exile would only happen for 70 years. And here Daniel's reading that. And he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The 70 years are almost over. And God is, is going to get ready to release these exiles to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the destruction of Jerusalem that would eventually would eventually prepare the way for the Messiah. So Daniel's getting excited because he sees this prophecy right before him. But what I want to do in this series is something different, something I've never done before in speaking about the book of Daniel. What I desire to do in this series is take a close look at the person of Daniel and what separated him, what set him apart in living in a godless society. How did he act and react to the obviously godly, ungodly culture that he was placed in that was really beyond his control, that that it wasn't his fault? See, this is something I believe we can overlook. Yes, it's interesting to talk about the prophecies, the lion's den, how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not get burned up in the fire. But I don't want to overlook the obvious here. Daniel lived within a harsh society, yet his influence was incredible. And this is where I believe the church can shine in our culture today. Here's the key point of the whole series of messages that we're going to be diving into. Here's the main point. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready, pastor. Okay, you're ready. Here we go. Daniel understood this one key principle. Are you ready? Here it is. I think I have, yeah, I do have it for you there. Here's, here's the key principle. Daniel insulated his life without isolating himself from the culture. Daniel insulated his life without isolating himself from the culture. That's that's the danger that can happen with followers of Christ when we see what's going on in our culture is to actually step away and actually isolate ourselves and just throw rocks at it and just say how bad it is. Right and, and kind of stand on the peripheral while we're not making any impact or dent within the society that we live in. And, and in fact, Christ has called us out into the world to be salt and light, to actually influence and be influencers of those that are around us, not to, not to pull back and relinquish and give up, but to be the ones that are actually proactive. And that's what Daniel did. It's incredible how God showed favor to Daniel in a very discouraging time in Israel's history. So here's what I mean by that. He lived in this godly culture by insulating his life, by staying faithful to God. He knew God's word and he used that to insulate himself from temptation. So Daniel knew God's word. Here's the thing. When you don't know God's plan, you will walk in confusion. When we are not concentrated on the word of God and what God's plan is for our life, we are going to allow the waves of this culture to toss us to and fro. When we don't have a vision and understanding of what God desires to do within his church, we're going to get tossed 
here and there from the culture and the political scene, everything else that's going around us. It's not what God desires for his body. And Daniel understood the plan of God that he had for him and for Israel. That's why he could stand up in the midst of his culture and live the way he did and actually influence it all the way up to the king with the most powerful nation at that time. Incredible story. And that's really what I want to dive into. Daniel didn't isolate himself from the world. He lived within the culture. Not only did he live within that culture, but he thrived within that culture. Daniel is a model for us today. Daniel's response to wicked leaders and evil co-workers are much different from the way we might see followers of Jesus react. And this might be the reason why I believe we have lost so much ground in what's in the so-called cultural wars that in that are in our world today. And so what I want to do in this series is not overlook the obvious and what God did with Daniel. And so as long as it's, it's so interesting to study these obscure passages in the book of Daniel and to look at the prophecy, which I believe is very, very important. However, Daniel is also a book of how to live within a very godless culture. We need to hear this word today. And I purposely I purposely am doing this series during this time and during this election year and during this election season for this very reason. We need to hear this today. We need to guard our hearts. We need to understand what God's plan is. And we can't be thwarted from the plan of God that he has for you and I living in our culture today. So how do we navigate? How do we navigate the culture that we live in today? How many know we're not living in leave it to beaver anymore? Can I get an Amen. I love Andy Griffith's show. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right? We ain't Mayberry anymore. Can I get an amen? Ain't Mayberry. Much as I love it, we ain't there anymore. We need to realize where we are today and how does God want to use us in our culture. We are going to dive deeper and deeper and deeper every single week to, to unfold this of how God wants the church to react. So, so what Daniel does, he gives us a model on how to thrive in this, this godless culture. So let me give you the background of Daniel that helped him to understand this and hopefully help us today. So I want to look at Jeremiah. First of all, I want to look at the prophecy of Jeremiah because Jeremiah was a prophet that spoke during this time, that spoke of this coming judgment of God and why God was going to exile them from their country for this time to discipline them and to judge them. But it wasn't just to harm them and to hurt them. And I'm done with Israel, but it was to work his plan in this godly culture that God would ultimately get the glory and the victory. So Jeremiah 29, this is so good. Mm. Glad I ate my Wheaties this morning. Jeremiah 29, I want to look at verses 4 through 7 and then verses 10 through 14. You can turn there in your Bibles or look up at the screen, but look at, look at, this is a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles on how they were to live within this new society. Check this out. This is so good. Verse 4, Jeremiah 29 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, 
the God of Israel says to all those I, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Isn't that interesting? God said, I did it. This was my plan, right? Even though you rebelled, I was behind this whole thing. Okay, this is going to help us deal with where we're living today. Okay, this is, this is what I've done. He's, this is what he tells them to do. Verse 5. He says, build houses and settle down. Settle down. Plant gardens. Have a tomato garden. Grow some cucumbers. Go crazy and plant some peppers. Go ahead. Get settled. Eat what they produce. Bake apple pies for Pastor Bard. No, I'm just here. Okay. Um, verse 6. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your, your, your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may that they too may have sons and daughters increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek, I love this, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city of which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What? This is what he's saying. You go live there amongst them and you live among them and you prosper amongst them because I've got a plan here. Don't give up. Now he's not telling them to compromise. He's telling them I've got a plan. You live among them. Look at drop down to verse, look at verse 10 here. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the scripture, here's the prophecy that Daniel grabbed onto, realizing God's plan and how he's going to bring the exiles back. Verse 10, he goes, this is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Everybody knows this. We all love this. We want to quote this verse, right? But let's put it in its context. Plans to prosper you and give you a hope in a future. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. And what does he say? Here's the promise. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and place you where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to that place for which I carried you into exile. What hope that is right there. And as much as we feel like we're losing ground, God says, I got it all under control. Don't lose heart. Stay true to my plan. Stay true to the vision that I have to fulfill everything until the end comes. So here we have Israel's being judged by God because of their waywardness, because they're rejecting God's commands. And here God gives them hope in the middle of all that destruction. God allows Babylon to, to take Israel captive. And, and, and basically what, what the word of God tells us and what history tells us is there was basically three stages of, 
of Babylon's control over Israel. And there was three waves that came through Israel that would take Israel captive and take them uh, to this foreign land of Babylon. And, and, and within those waves of takeover of Babylon, they would take people into exile back to Babylon. And basically Daniel was part of the first group that departed. Actually, before the actual destruction, the total destruction, especially of the temple in 586 BC. So 600 years before Christ came, Daniel is, is, is taken away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken away. And so Daniel didn't do anything wrong, but because of Israel's waywardness, he was part of that judgment to be taken away. But God says, listen, I still got plans. And this is the thing that encouraged Daniel through this exile in God's judgment. And so Daniel had to basically pay the price of what others had done. And even though he did not turn his back on God, he was still taken away from his home. He was basically stripped of his identity, yet he didn't walk away from God and he sought God and stayed true to God's word, even in the face of judgment. And so basically what a foreign country would do, and Babylon was smart, what they would do is they would take the brightest of those captive and use them within their government. So, and and they, would, they would teach them and train them in their ways and basically strip them of their culture and basically lay their culture on them and use them because they understood they were the brightest. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the brightest. They were the ones that got perfect scores on their SATs. They knew this. Right, So, so they, they took them and they were going to use them and they be, began to immerse them into their culture. So let's, let's see what happens here. Daniel chapter 1 gives us exactly what happens here. So Daniel is... And here Daniel is taken. He's given this name, Belteshazzar. He's, they change his name, which basically means Baal protects his life. So they're stripping him of everything. That They're stripping him of his identity. And so let's see what happens here. Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. Let's, let's look at verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court official, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and of nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. You don't think God had a plan? Here's his plan, right? And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned to them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And here we see, here, here we see the brightest of Israel had to offer. Among these men of Judah were, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their names were changed also to these Babylonian gods. And the chief official gave them new names. And we see this to Daniel, Bel, Belta, uh, Bel, 
to Shazar, and then we see Hananiah, and we see all their names are changed. Hananiah, uh, Shadrach, to Meshach, uh, uh, to Meshach, and Azariah to Abednego. So here we have this new name, Belteshazzar. We see this Baal name. God, you know, Baal protects his life. Everything's stripped among them. And so here's Daniel. He's in this new culture. Everything's been stripped from him. And so you see these four, this cream of the crop. And what is so interesting about this particular verse and about uh, Daniel and 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 um, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, what's interesting about them is you don't hear anything about their family history because family history and family lineages are very important. It gives your lineage, it gives who, where you're from. And, and, and I can remember um, we had a, a Gerace family reunion in Batavia because that's where my dad's side of the family comes. That's where our Italian side comes. And uh, it was so interesting to hear and to sit down with um, some of my dad's cousins who are kind of the keeper of the flame of our, of our family to hear the family history and how my great-grandparents came from Sicily. Uh, they first moved to uh, Fredonia back in the late 1800s. They became huge Bills fans back then. Um, so it was great. I was like, yes. They, and then they moved to Buffalo. And then eventually they all settled into Batavia. And just hearing the stories of my grandfather and all his brothers and sisters. And it was just really interesting because it, it, it kind of gives you a sense of who you are. Your, your identity. Where, where you came from. That, that's very interesting to me. And what's interesting about these four is nothing's mentioned about their family history. And those that did not have offspring were often looked down upon. And so nothing's mentioned about a spouse or family. And I believe this is very significant because such silence actually speaks volumes to what's going on. And I don't know if any of you ever really knew this about Daniel, but here's what most scholars believe. Here's the reason why nothing was mentioned about their family history or their wives. Daniel and his friends were the brightest, most intelligent, not to mention Good-looking. So here's the situation. The king of Babylon would have the best, most beautiful women that would be part of his concubine or his harem. And then what he would have in the king's court is the brightest, these good-looking men, and they would be together quite a bit. And so let me, some of you are already starting to fill in the, fill in the gaps a little bit here. Let me explain this to you. Here's where the difficult part comes in. Many believe, and it is strongly implied, that Daniel was turned into a eunuch, emasculated. And here's the reason why. The men that were in charge of Daniel's training was a eunuch and actually called the chief of the eunuchs. And this would be done so the king could trust these men around his harem. And so I want you to think about Daniel's life because when you first read it, it's like, wow, Daniel gets, he's, he's placed in the king's court. He's, he's, getting the, he's getting the best of everything. He's not suffering. Wait a minute. Let's see what happens here. So here you have Daniel who was handsome, smart, had everything going for him. He is ripped from his homeland because of the disobedience of others. He is placed in a godless culture. His name is changed to a pagan god, he has to learn the occult and, de and, and demonic teachings. I can't, things, 
that, that things I can't even imagine what he had to witness each and every day. He is made to become a eunuch with no hope of a family. In the midst of his broken dreams and everything is shattered, his identity is stripped from him. He remains faithful to God when everything was taken away from him. In the midst of this broken down immoral culture, he remains faithful to God. Let's go back into the word of God. I want to look at verses 8 through 17 in Daniel 1. Look at, look at what Daniel does in the midst of being destitute and being stripped of everything, being stripped of his identity. Look what Daniel does. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Oh, this is key. Daniel could have just given up. What good is it? I'm in this foreign country. Everything's taken away from me. What has God done for me lately? And I'm just going to, I'm going to live a sinful lifestyle. I'm just going to enjoy this. But what did Daniel resolve to do in his heart? He, he resolved in his heart not to defile himself. So he didn't defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, I want you to notice something here. And this is what we're going to study in the, in, in the weeks coming up. That Daniel didn't push his way. He didn't demand his way. I want you to see the way he did this to not compromise his beliefs, but still be an influence to those that were around him. Watch what Daniel does here. It's amazing the humility that Daniel uses. Here we go. Are you ready? Verse 9. Now God, has now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. And, 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 but, the, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young man, your, men your age? The king then would have my head because of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die because of you. You got to eat this because if you're under my care and you don't look good and, 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 and you're, I'm not doing what the king tells me, then, then, then the king can just cut my head off. End of, end of story. End of my life. So then here's what Daniel, then Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this. And tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. And to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Now this is going to come in, in handy for Daniel as we go on in the story of Daniel's life and how he lived in a godless society. You see, in the midst of what seemed like a hopeless situation, 
Here God shows up. He gives Daniel wisdom and favor and allows him to thrive in the most difficult place. Daniel is actually given a plan by God and he follows it even in this godless place. And I want you to understand something here. Let, let, me put these, let, let me put the puzzle together for you here. Because what I see here is I see how this is fulfilled in Christ Jesus for us. This is how Daniel is this beautiful picture of Christ for us and this fulfillment of Christ that Jesus is the true and better Daniel. You see, what Jesus did for us is he literally came into our mess, into a godless culture. Jesus was humiliated for us. Jesus stepped into our culture and actually ate with sinners. Jesus didn't compromise, but what did he do? He influenced those that were around him by the way he lived his life for the Lord and was obedient to his father. Jesus didn't come against the culture. He came to save people. Listen closely. The culture, the culture is not the enemy. People are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy who's behind it all. That's who we're fighting. And when we take our eyes off of that, we begin to fight people and culture. And then the church gets this stigma of all the things that we're against and how we don't like people and how we hate people, which can be furthest from the truth when we read the Gospels. But what's behind all this? It's the enemy who has come to kill, steal, and destroy that's who we're ultimately fighting against. Jesus didn't come against the culture. He came to save people. This is why I love John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Let's see what it says, because here is God's plan for us. John 3. We all know John three sixteen for God so loved the world, right? We all know that one. But John 17, 18, I love this. What does it say? For God did not send his son into the world to do what? To condemn the world, but to save the world through who? Through him. Whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so here's Jesus's call to us. Here's God's call to Daniel and to the people that were living in Babylon. Jesus did not call for his disciples to isolate themselves from the culture, but to do actually what? Infiltrate the culture. So here's, here's God's calling to us. Jesus didn't come and just throw rocks at everybody, but he actually infiltrated the culture. He ate with sinners. He hung out with the, the horrible tax collectors who was ripping everybody else, who were labeled sinners. Jesus actually infiltrated the culture and began to change people's hearts. They began to see who he was and that he was the son of God. Listen, I feel your frustration for many of you because we see the morals. We see all these things. We feel like so, so much is, is slipping away 
But the minute we start to fight a moral battle with the world, we're going to lose every time. Jesus came to save us. It has to be a heart change. When that changes, everything else in my life changes. I begin to see God's plan and understand what he has for us. It's got to start within our hearts. It can't be this, well, this has to change and and I'm fighting this. I'm going to protest this and I'm going to protest that. That does nothing. It's got to start with us. And the way we live our lives and understand God's plan. See, Daniel, even though he did not turn his back on God, he was still taken away from his homeland, stripped of his identity, yet he didn't walk away from God. He sought God and stayed true to God's word. Jesus did the same thing for us. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He left heaven away from his home, stripped of everything. However, Jesus was obedient to his father, even obedient to death, and God raised him up. Listen, listen, listen. Even though we may see things slipping away into deeper moral decay, remember the enemy is not the culture. The enemy is Satan who is behind this world. And I don't want you to be distracted by that. Don't allow this election to distract you from what God's ultimate plan is for the church. His plan remains the same no matter what election we face year after year after year after year. His plan is to save souls. That's his plan. His plan, the gospel message remains the same. And so for me as a follower of Jesus Christ, I've got to come back to the gospel message and the plan of God that he has for this world and not allow all the things, the rhetoric and the things that are being said to distract me from people that Jesus wants to save and to redeem and to call back to himself and to call them home. And so it's got to start with me. God, am am I getting all worked up? Am I getting all worked up? Am I getting distracted from what you originally called me to. It's so funny that Jesus said, when they say, well, well, who should we give? Should we give to this? And Jesus says, listen, give to Caesars what is Caesars. Give to God what is God. Jesus didn't get immersed in all that stuff. Why? Because the kingdom of God was at stake. The kingdom of God was at stake. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, what are we doing? to make your kingdom come alive as we live in this place called Babylon. Come and see over the next weeks what God has called us to do as a church. But here's where I want to finish today. The question I want to ask you today is very simple. Are you isolating yourselves from people who are not Christians or are you looking at ways to infiltrate their lives as to bless them so that they will take notice? That's what God has called us to do. And what we're going to do is we're going to go into detail and look at the life of Daniel and how he walked in humility and how God, and how God showed him favor all the way up to King Nebuchadnezzar to the top king where he took notice of how God, his God, was the only God. 
But it was done through Daniel's humility, not his protest. It was done through his service. And so God, may you first change our hearts. Give us a fresh look at why you came, Jesus, and you came for sinners. You came to serve and not be served. You didn't come into the world to condemn the world. You came in the world to save the world. God, flood us with your grace again and give us a fresh, fresh vision for where we live and allow us to be influencers and allow us not to isolate ourselves but to influence and have relationships with people so they can see and talk to us and say, okay, you're not what I thought a Christian was. Let's change their minds on why Jesus came and what the purpose of Christianity is all about. And so my prayer for you is no matter what happens in this election, whether it's good for you or bad for you or whatever, I want you to walk away and say, but my God is sovereign. My God is still in control. Nothing's going to stop his word. It's not going to thwart my heart from what you want to do through my life. God, whatever you got to do, let me be sensitive to your plan and not lose focus of that, even though things may not be going my way. Because God's plan will not be thwarted. Let's get on board with what God is doing. God is bigger than this election. God is bigger than people. Way bigger. Our God is sovereign. So let's hold on to that. Let that be your hope. Let it cause you to, let it cause you to humble yourself and, and to allow God to use you. And when people start getting down and blah, 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 just say, God's in control. He's in control. God, let us hear from you. Let us come back to your word and hear from you. Amen. Let's stand. And as we go today, let's pray and let's just prepare our hearts. Be praying for me over these next couple weeks as we dig into the book of Daniel. And my prayer for you is that God would continue to solidify this in your heart as you go out into the world. God, I just pray as we just stand and as we go in your presence today, give us a fresh vision of our, of our culture. Give us a fresh vision of what you called us to do. Help us not to get discouraged. I know it can be so discouraging. Help us to realize that you have a plan and we want to be in the center of your will, God. And so change our hearts first. Flood us with your grace and your compassion for this world, God. And let us first live it out in our lives as we extend your love and grace and truth to a world that so desperately needs it. So change our hearts, God. We do pray for our country. Our country needs you. We're lost without you, God. And so, Lord, help the church to rise up to do what you've called us to do, Lord. So over these next weeks, God, just speak to living word through your word. God, change us and rearrange us and let us be just focused on Jesus and what he would have us do. So change our hearts first. Help us in this next week look for ways just to reach out to those around us to form relationships and just let people know we love them. And that there's a Savior that loves them. God, give us those opportunities. Give us favor, God. Open doors for us to go into places we never thought we could go. Just open them up, God. And let us realize that's you working. So help us take advantage of all those things. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us and that your word is true.
and that you're ultimately in control. So go with us now, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things.